Okay, so this is our continuing discussion of Simon Don's Individuation, Volume 2. We're on the text History of the Notion of the Individual. And today we're going to start from page 456 of the translation. So the last time we, we went through the first part about Plato, um, and we talked, uh, uh, I think uh, the biggest part of what we saw last time had to do with the Republic. Um, and Plato's conception of how the individual fits into the city in the Republic. Um, and uh, there's a sort of uh, uh, microcosm, macrocosm relationship between the individual and the, the collective um, the, in the city, uh, where each individual is composed of different functions, uh, the appetitive function, the um, uh, I forget what the translation is, but tumos, the um, the function of the the warrior, um, and um, the uh, rational function, which belongs to the the guardians, um, and so each each of these functions that makes up the individual, um, the different individuals have different um, sort of compositions uh, or balance of these different functions, and the the your category in the city depends on which of these functions um, dominates within you. Uh, and so in the same way that the, the individual is composed of these different functions, the city as a whole is composed of individuals in which those different functions predominate. And, uh, and so it has, again, this microcosm, macrocosm uh, structure to that relation. Uh, so we we just saw i think towards the end last time where he starts talking about um the parmenides and the theodotus um uh and the sophists yeah um so these are um these are more abstract dialogues in in certain ways than uh the republic um and so the theodotus is primarily about the concept of knowledge, and then the sophist and the Parmenides are about the concepts of being. Um, and uh, what what we end up finding in uh, in these dialogues is that there's a a sort of uh, criticism of the Parmenidean conception of being, or this. Um, conception of being as as something that is uh, static, that is um, uh, eternally fixed in, in one sort of uh, configuration. Um, and Plato in earlier dialogues had sort of expressed sympathy for this conception of being, where he talks about the ideas um, as being these eternal objects that have, uh, that never undergo generation or corruption. Um, but in this dialogue, or in, in these couple of dialogues, he um, expresses some criticisms of these ideas uh, and, and um, difficulties for, th for this notion of being as something static. Um, yeah, so that's about where we got to last time. And we're going to continue today uh, talking about the Parmenides and uh, the Sophists. And then we'll get to the Timaeus as well. Okay, so I'll start. Uh, I think we are like halfway down the page on 456, uh, where the, the paragraph break is. Uh, so I'll start. 
<clears throat> I'll start reading, um, and then we'll go around as usual. Nevertheless, the Iliadic stranger of the sophist does not want to give being an overly rich concept that surpasses it. The problem will then be a problem of measure. Relation is interior to being, but it is limited by a measure, which is like the constitutive structure of relation insofar as relation is being. Consequently, it is necessary to study the communication and blending between terms such as being, movement, and rest. What thought attains are, are never isolated elements, but always mixtures. A concept is attained only when the relations that it has with other concepts, uh, sorry, only with the relations that it has to other concepts. Dialectics is the art that provides rules for the blending of concepts, just as music provides rules for the union of sounds. But these concepts are, not, are part of the total being. Relations between concepts are not artificial. They are analogous to the relations between beings and are themselves relations between beings. There is no logical individuality of concepts prior to this relation that dialectics establishes. For whatever attribute that can be given to a notion, the latter possesses the former not by itself, but by participation in another idea. Thought passes from the undetermined to the determined. It does not remain content with establishing rapports between already determined ideas, as Aristotle's logic will be willing to do. Dialectics consists in grasping this willing, i.e. that which signifies the idea that is examined profoundly, and in following what is seen in the notions. Each notion returns us from itself to the notions with which it must combine. This intellectual intuition that grasps relation as being is incompatible with the Parmenidean conception of being. Being is then defined as a mixture. The individual is no longer absolute unity, but the stability of a relation. Already in the Phaedrus, the synthetic apprehension of being is prior to any analysis. This analysis, a division which leads to the definition, carves up the real katatra, uh, according to natural articulations, which supposes that the individual being possesses an analyzable relation in its unity. The exercises of division that we find in the statesman and the sophist could make us believe that a division only bears upon the, the extension of a concept, but in fact leads, but it in fact leads to a definition, like for example that of the sophist as the guileful hunter of young rich people or the definition of politics as prescriptive theoretical science. This division, which is practiced by means of intuition, always bears upon the totality of being, without which it would be arbitrary. A group must not be defined negatively by exclusion, but positively. In this way, there is between the two groups arising from division a veritable relation that is not a simple logical distinction. The division of man into Greeks and barbarians is not katartra, since the term barbarians is only defined negatively by exclusion of the term Greek. On the contrary, the division of man into male and female is founded on equally positive characteristics. It is founded on a veritable relation. Okay, um, yeah, so let's stop there for, for now. Um, so what, um, what he's talking about here is the, uh, the concept of dialectic that is um, set out in the sophists, which is uh, this Sort of division of concepts um, in in the sophist and the statesman. Um, he gives examples of um, uh, dividing up concepts into these uh, pairs, and then dividing each of those pairs in turn. Um, and you eventually arrive at a, a definition of uh, of a term. Uh, so, like um, the sophist is a 
uh, a kind of hunter, um, and uh, you divide up the category of hunter into um, based on what what they hunt and so on, and you eventually arrive at the definition that a sophist is a hunter of rich young people. Um, and and this is of course a uh, uh, a sort of uh, tendentious definition because um, this is not a definition that the sophists themselves would accept of their own uh, uh, practice. But this is um, the way that Plato is depicting the sophists. Uh, and then there's this idea that of dividing dividing up nature um, at the joints. Uh, and so he in the in the Phaedrus he. Uh, compares this um, process of definition to uh, the way that um, uh, the butcher cuts up an animal um, by cutting at the joints uh, rather than cutting uh, across uh, across bone or something like that. Um, and uh, so the idea is that um, by carving up nature or carving up the world at, the, at its joints, you are... Um, making concepts or making distinctions that match onto the way that the world is structured. Uh, and, and that's sort of the ideal that, uh, that Plato is setting uh, for this division of concepts. Uh, and so one of the sort of principles that he uses um, is, is that when you divide uh, a concept, it can't just be um, uh, a positive and a negative term. Uh, so, like in the example that, that Simon Don gives here, the Greeks and barbarians uh, is is not a good division of human beings because uh, barbarian is just defined as as not Greek. Uh, so, you need to give a, a positive definition of each term of the division. You need to have a, an actual sort of um, uh, content to the term and not just a, an empty logical negation. Um, yeah, I think that's about all I wanted to say about that part. So we can go on to the next page if someone else would like to read. Yeah, sure, we can go. Uh, the individual, which is a veritable mixture, is not an arbitrary fusion, but a well-defined combination of two elements, an undetermined or unlimited element and a fixed limit or determination. The undetermined is a couple of opposites, like larger and smaller, higher and lower, hotter and colder. The limit is a fixed numerical ratio, like double or triple. Being, which is a mixture, results from the introduction of a fixed rapport into the couple of opposites. Octave, movement, forms are therefore mixtures. It seems that Plato reintroduced something of Ionian physics into his conception of being. The indefinite dyad somewhat plays the role of the element. But physis is no longer imminent to the element. The undetermined of the dyad indeed provides the matter of the rapport, but the limit intervenes in this undetermined externally in some way. What is missing to conceive the unity and consistency of the individual being is the relation between the paris, limit, and the apiron, which is neither limit nor unlimited. The individual is this rapport between limit and unlimited. Thus, Plato grants a sort of privilege to the limit over the unlimited, a privilege that prepares the Aristotelian theory of the activity of form and the passivity of matter in the individual. Indeed, for Plato, the limit is an object of science, which grasps the fixed rapports 
introduced into the aperon by the pyrus, the metrion, the well-measured. Moreover, since the unlimited and the limit are not named, philebus, and are not implicated, there must be a fourth genus of being to link them that is different from them as well as from the blend, i.e. the cause of the blend. Consequently, the mixture does not harbor within itself a physis that would contain its own explanation. The cause of the blend is one for a multiplicity of beings and is above them. It is final cause grasped in the form of beauty, symmetry, truth. This end, the cause of the blend, is the uncondition of the republic. The individual is consequently inserted into a cosmos that is the most beautiful of sensible mixtures, a stable blend organized according to fixed rapports. The world is a living individual endowed with soul and intelligence, but physis is replaced with the demiurge. This demiurge operates on a world that already includes individualities, since the four elements of earth, water, air, and fire therein are composed of elementary particles. The corpuscles of a certain element can be identified by their specific shape. They have the form of the four regular polyhedrons, cube, icosahedron, octahedron, tetrahedron. Brute necessity appears in the arrangement of these corpuscles, which depend on the way they react to the tremors of the indefinite space in which they exist. It seems that to conceive elementary physical individuality, Plato applied a Pythagorean representation perfected by Thetides' recent discoveries in stereometry to the conception that the Ionian physiologists presented for the element. The indefinite nature of the element has become that of the space or receptacle, Cora. Conversely, what was positive in the material substantiality of the unique primordial element has become geometrical form. The elementary triangle with which Plato tried to compose all regular tetrahedrons so as to explain the continuity of the transmutation of the elements. A corpuscle of water contains as many triangles as two corpuscles of air plus a corpuscule of fire, and a corpuscle of air contains as many triangles as two corpuscles of fire. Thus, despite its division into elementary corpuscles, there is a certain homogeneity of all matter due to the fact that elementary corpuscles are themselves composed of triangles. Only the corpuscles of Earth resist this decomposition that establishes the continuity of transmutations. In this way, the smallest elements of elementary matter already has a form. Pure indetermination has been rejected in the bastard, hardly believable concept of whatever that ancient Greek word is. <clears throat> Chlora again. Got it, thanks. Um, yeah, we can stop there. Um... Yeah, so here we, um, we're passing from the sophists to the Timaeus. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> the Timaeus is primarily uh, or almost exclusively dedicated to um, describing the creation of the world. Uh, so the, the setup is that this uh, entity called the Demiurge is... Um, going to use various mathematical principles to construct the world. Um, and um, this is uh, set out as uh, something that can only be known with probability uh, because uh, it has to do with change and uh, generation and destruction. Um, and, and so we, we can't have true knowledge of, uh, of these um, uh, developments we can only have knowledge with probability uh, 
Um, so it's a, it's a probable account uh, rather than something set out as being uh, true knowledge. Um, but the, so in, in this um, picture of the, uh, the creation of the world, there's this um, account of the elements as, as having to do with um, the, the shape of atoms uh, or uh, of these uh, elementary entities. Um, so there's the, the uh, platonic solids. Um, let me just put the link in the chat here. Um, the platonic solids are um, regular um, um, shapes that can be constructed out of triangles um, and uh, um, the idea was that um, the elements each corresponds to one of these uh, these types of uh, of solids and uh, the properties of the elements are supposed to be derived from the shapes of the uh, of the different atoms that, that are put together um, so this is a, a sort of, it's a Pythagorean uh, or partly inspired by Pythagorean uh, ideas about um, the mathematical structure of the world um, that, that Plato sort of takes on. Um, but he, he's also using, uh, so this um, classification of the platonic solids is uh, something that was brand new uh, at the time Plato was writing. So this is like sort of cutting edge science that he's talking about. Um, and uh, yeah, so this this is a, um, um, a sort of speculative uh, extension of the, the science of his time. Uh, and there's also this concept of Quora, uh, which is um, he, he argues that there has to be something in which the different uh, components of the world can uh, can combine in the, the appropriate way. So this um, receptacle um, or this, and, and he, um, he has some difficulty with this concept because it's, it has to be something that doesn't have its own properties. If it, if it's going to be uh, a receptacle that can take on any properties that, um, that appear in the world, then it can't have any properties of its own. But that means it's it's sort of impossible to actually grasp this concept of this uh, entity without properties. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of the the picture that he um, that he presents of the uh, the way that the demiurge puts together the universe. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll continue to to see more about how that happens in the next couple pages. Uh, okay, so let's go on to the next page. Um, if someone else would like to read, or I can do it again, or you can go. It's up to you. Yeah, I'll I'll continue. Um, and uh, yeah, okay. Um, right, but the but elementary triangles are not enough to constitute the cosmos. Starting with elementary triangles, pure necessity can engender nothing but the elementary corpuscles of the four elements. Polyhedrons do not go beyond the determination of fixed reports of largeness and smallness. This incapacity of the chora and of elementary triangles to make complete organized individuals appear 
uh, sorry, to make complete organized individuals appear, stemmed from the fact that Plato has not conserved the thesis of the Ionians. It is consequently the demiurge who intervenes to give form to the ensemble constituted by the Korah and the polyhedrons in order to make them into a cosmos. The demiurge creates that which in individuality is organization and structure of the ensemble, finality, organic relation. It creates the world soul, and the world soul, which is a mixture, is composed of peras, which is the indivisible essence, and the aperon, which is the indivisible essence. To this is also added the same and the other, which only enter into the blend by force, and which remain the principle of indetermination. This world soul composed of mixture of same and other constitutes the structure of the cosmos by providing that of the astronomical system. Here, relation becomes constitutive of being itself. The mixture is divided into two branches that cross at an acute angle and curve into circles with the same center. The circle of the same is unique, and while the circle of the other is divided sevenfold. It is animated by a movement that is inverse to the preceding movement. The whole cosmos is penetrated by finality down to its last details. And according to the 10th book of the laws, divine providence is everywhere. The theory of the world is a narrative of the providential work. The individual being is never certain about penetrating the intentions of providence. The knowledge of the cosmos consequently remains intuitive and partially conjectural. A veritable dualism then arises. By bending necessity to intelligence, the demiurge encounters resistances. The first mixture, the body of the world, is so well made that it is immortal, even though it has been engendered. But partial mixtures, like the bodies of animals, which are made by the gods imitating the demiurge, are subject to death. In this sense, mixtures are increasingly less perfect individuals endowed with less and less coherence and stability. This search for the relation, the, sorry, this search for the reality of relation as constitutive of a being seems as though it were quite particularly expressed in Plato's oral teaching. Number theoretic ideas. So the, num the number ideas are defined by rapports, not by a series of units added together. We define the most essential relations, those which are constitutive of beings. These numbers are individuals because, according to what Aristotle tells us, they result from the one and from the indefinite dyad of the large and small. The one is that which introduces the peras, while the dyad is aperon. The Philebus already showed that form can be made to emerge from a fixed rapport of largeness and smallness. These ideal numbers, which consist of fixed but really existing rapports, are fundamental structures that can define the being independently of every sensible given. In the number idea, relation has become the foundation of the being, first intelligible structure. Ideal numbers constitute the laws for the combination of mixtures as beings. The problem of participation that animates the first part of the Parmenides is resolved here by a sort of reversal that transports the veritable individuality of the being to the relation between mixtures by defining the number ideas as the principle of the eternal model of the world. Right, so here he's going through some of the, the details of the construction of the universe in the Timaeus. Um, so the Demiurge um, is sort of responsible for the, the organization of the universe, um, whereas um, prior to the Demiurge's intervention, there's just this sort of um, incoherent mixture of the elements uh, the Demiurge intervenes to give those elements um, this form and structure that we observe in the universe. Uh, and 
Um, the details of how the Demiurge does this are not super relevant, but there's this idea of um, the mixture of the same and other. So the same and other are, are the sort of principles that the, the Demiurge has to mix together. Um, and there's a, a circle of the same and a circle of the other, which uh, form a sort of cross um, shape uh, and rotate in opposite directions. Uh, and and the, the idea is that the whole uh, universe is structured in accordance with final causality. So everything has a purpose or everything is structured in accordance with some goal. Uh, and and so throughout the Timaeus, um, the the discussion is always about how the demiurge does something in order for uh, the world to have this desirable property or to have this um, perfection. Uh, and and this is true uh, not just of the whole structure of the universe, but of every portion of the universe, including uh, including ourselves. Except that. Um, there's a sort of hierarchy of the order of creation. So the Demiurge creates the, the universe as a whole, uh, and then subordinate um, divinities are responsible for creating, uh, say, the, the animals that live on Earth. Um, and so because, because they're created by um, less perfect beings, uh, they are themselves less perfect and so are subject to um, decay and death. Uh, and then um, he also, so Simon Don here also uh, mentions Plato's oral teaching, uh, and this is a, a, a sort of a controversial point in uh, Plato's scholarship of what exactly uh, Plato's oral teaching consisted in. So we, we only really know it from uh, um, mentions in, in Aristotle of what exactly the, there was supposedly this um, esoteric teaching of, of Plato so that there was a, a secret doctrine that was only taught to the members of the academy and didn't appear in uh, in Plato's writings. Uh, but there's very little that we can sort of reconstruct of what exactly this uh, esoteric teaching consisted in. Um, but one bit is... Um, um, Yeah, so one one bit is this relationship between the um, the unlimited and the indefinite dyad. Um, so he's mentioned the the indefinite dyad before, um, but this is this um, principle that is is sort of uh, responsible for pairs of opposites. Um, so like the hot and the cold, and the high pitched and low pitched, and so on. Um, and there's, uh, at least as far as we can see from Aristotle's discussion of this, there was a, an account of the origin of numbers in accordance with uh, the, um, the one and the indefinite dyad. Uh, and, and so there is like a, a sort of a splitting operation that um, brings about the, that generates the numbers. So rather than like, maybe a more modern uh, depiction of the origin of numbers or the generation of numbers would be in terms of a successor function. So you have uh, starting with zero or one, uh, and then you have the successor, which gives you the next greatest uh, number, uh, and then the successor of the successor and so on. Um, 
So this is a sort of linear conception of, of number, uh, whereas in Plato, what we have instead is this conception of number as generated by splitting. Uh, so um, the one splits into uh, two and three, uh, uh, I think is how it's supposed to work. And there's like a few different um, ways that people have tried to reconstruct this, but uh, the numbers split into um, subsequent numbers and, and then each, the, the higher numbers are generated from the lower ones by the splitting operation. Okay, so let's go on to the next uh, page or so, uh, if someone else would like to read. Uh, it is certainly difficult to penetrate the exact meaning of Plato's esoteric teaching toward the last years of his life. Nevertheless, it seems that this teaching sought to discover a way to think becoming, just as political science requires. Correlatively, the human individual seeks to be immortalized in the sensible, i.e. in becoming. And yet, in order for becoming to become the substance of an immortality, there must be, at the heart of this movement, of the generations and corruptions that are the stuff of being, not the stability of a being in the Parmenidian sense, since becoming excludes it, but the stability, rather, of a rapport between movements. Consequently, this rapport can no longer be constituted by a fixed form or an archetype of static structure, but only by the number idea that characterizes this rapport. This number idea is not a quantity formed by the addition of units, for it is indecomposable. It is form insofar as it contains a rapport. It is permanent, but not fixed. If such is the number idea, according to the law of analogy that defines the structure of the platonic world, it may be thought that the imperfect individual, like man, is a being that to some extent harbors a form, a permanent rapport, like a number idea. The Cratylus, which is a dialogue whose study is generally left aside, informs us about a conception of individuality that brought this point, to view, point of view to light. Plato sought not only what forms the correctness of denominations, but also the particular reality of the individual to which the name can be referred insofar as it is a proper name. What is the Socrates of Ian Socrates? This question remains without a precise answer in that which concerns persons. Yet by contrast, the solution given to the question of common names could be suitable to a certain extent for proper names. The name is a hypothesis about the static or dynamic structure of the thing. It aims to account for the nature of the thing, whether this nature be static or dynamic. The broad lines of the system of thought of those who have established it can even be rediscovered through an analysis of vocabulary. And Plato believes to be able to point out two very different layers of vocabulary, one of which would arise from the work of mobilist philosophers and the other from the work of immobilist philosophers. It is only regrettable that this dialogue does not leave us with a deeper analysis of the conditions for the correct application of proper names. Ultimately, it must be noted that Plato does not present a single type of conception of individuality, but two. Strictly speaking, there is the individuality of the elementary tetrahedrons composed of triangles and the individuality of the cosmos, or of number ideas. The individuality of tetrahedrons is, is constituted by the arrangement of the elementary triangles that constitute their faces. These individuals are wholes composed of parts, and the fact of having integrated the tetrahedron of a particular element does not prevent one of the triangles from being integrated into another element in a transmutation. What is fixed and unalterable is the elementary triangle. The elementary tetrahedral individual is already a composite, perfectly defined yet imperfectly stable. 
There is no property of the whole that does not result from a property of the parts in the individual. The genesis of the individual is explainable by causality alone. It results from necessity and does not imply an intelligent and providential finality. On the contrary, if we consider the cosmos, we realize that each of its parts is fashioned so as to be integrated into the whole, and that the whole is anterior to the parts instead of resulting from their encounter or their assemblage. The world supposes an intelligent finality, that of the one, the good, or the demiurge. The role of the, uh, I'm not sure what that is, is not the same in the elementary individual and in the cosmic individual. In the elementary individual, the triangular form remains veritably adherent to the triangle par triangular particle, which in its association with the other particles composes the tetrahedron. The, again, same word is already present in the part. I'll stop there. The last word was peras, the uh, um, notion of limit. Um, right, so uh, we're continuing with the Timaeus, but he's also discussing here the Cratylus, which is um, the dialogue in which um, Plato talks about language, and he gives these sort of... Um, it's hard to tell how seriously we're meant to take them, these uh, etymologies for um, for Greek words, uh, which are uh, don't at all correspond to the etymologies that um, we use today or that people have reconstructed uh, today. Um, they're, they're sort of made up etymologies. Um, and um, there is this um, uh, idea that, that Plato sets out that that certain terms um, presuppose the idea of movement. Uh, and so the philosophers who invented these words must have been philosophers who believed in movement, uh, whereas other words um, have a, a sort of um, fixed quality to them that uh, that means that they must have been invented by philosophers who, who did not believe in movement. Uh, and um, yeah, so this this is the uh, linguistic theory that Plato presents in that dialogue. Um, but then we we go back to the Timaeus, and um, there's here Simondo argues that there's really two different conceptions of individuality at work in the Timaeus. So on the one hand. There's this notion of the um, uh, composition of entities out of these elementary triangles. Uh, so every uh, everything is made up of the four elements, and then the elements themselves are made up of atoms that have a particular uh, geometrical geometrical structure, and uh, that geometrical structure is in turn made up of triangles. And so those triangles are are the ultimate individuals that the world is made up out of. Uh, and this sort of order of explanation is one in which the, the whole, the composite, has properties that are derived from the parts. Uh, everything is, is sort of built up from the bottom up. Uh, and then on the other hand, we have this other conception of individuality in which um, everything is sort of built from the top down. So it's, it's the conception of the good or of perfection of the world 
that guides the demiurge to form the universe in a particular way. Uh, and then particular portions of the universe are formed in accordance with how they contribute to the perfection of the whole. Uh, and so this is a, a completely um, uh, a completely opposite depiction of individuality. So here it's a, a sort of top-down picture and one organized around finality rather than uh, material causation. Okay, uh, so let me continue from here. Okay, due to its geometrical nature, every triangular form can be combined with other triangle triangles to create a definite number of regular tetrahedrons. There is a homogeneity and continuity between the form of the regular tetrahedron and the form of the elementary triangle. Conversely, there is no continuity between the matter that the demiurge informs and the order that it establishes to make the cosmos. To create the cosmos, individual blindness, blind necessity and, and space or the undetermined movement of the Korra will not suffice. The form of the whole is not homogeneous with the form of the parts. It comes from outside and on high to impose an order onto the world of blind necessity. The individual according to finality is not composed like the individual according to causality. Man remains between these two orders of magnitude, which are two types of incompatible composition. Man is individual neither according to geometrical necessity nor according to the finality of the cosmos. Plato consequently attempts to give man a place in the order of finality by making each individual man with his characteristics be born providentially where he must, though he can be integrated into the city. Man is individualized according to the finality of the cosmos, not according to the causality of the elementary individual. The conception of individuality in Plato stems from the dissociation of the element of the Ionian physiologists. The order of succession has become finality applied to cosmic individuality. The order of simultaneity has become the individuality of the particle applied to the elements. Between the two types of individuality, that of the elementary particle and that of the whole, there would have to be a mode of composition it is this mode of composition that we are unaware of. Perhaps it was studied in Plato's esoteric teachings, but it is lacking in the extant texts. Plato's last word relative to human individuality, which is precisely situated in this interval, is not a theoretical examination, but a practical attitude of, of the legislator composing the ideal city. The individual is treated according to the city's order of simultaneity, and this order is inserted into a world organized according to finality. Perhaps it is necessary to see the will to reconcile order according to simultaneity and order according to succession in the principle of eternal return in the great year. If becoming is circular, the order of finality coincides due to the limited nature with the order of simultaneity. The individual being is consequently in a becoming that is already qua becoming, penetrated by an intelligibility and an order that are not incompatible with the order of simultaneity. The cyclical movement of the astronomical system subtended by the world soul is the mobile image of eternity. The structural order of the city attempts to maintain the stability of the laws and institutions and to prevent decadence since absolute fixity is impossible. Uh, sorry, since absolute fixity is impossible, Plato rediscovers a sort of fixity in the cyclical and therefore regulated nature of becoming. Nevertheless, the cyclical aspect of time, which permits bringing a certain type of simultaneity or at least an analog of simultaneity into succession, subordinates the order of succession to the order of simultaneity. Right, so here, um, still on the Timaeus, um, and, and still talking about this opposition between the two 
uh, forms of individuality, uh, the, the individuality according to geometrical necessity uh, that is built from the bottom up, and then the individuality from uh, uh, finality, which is built from the top down. Um, and then the question arises of where the human being fits into this picture, uh, because human beings are composite entities. They're built up out of the elements and uh, ultimately out of these elementary triangles. Uh, but then at the same time, human beings are supposed to have uh, a place in the cosmos uh, and to fit into the universal order in some way. Uh, and so um, how exactly the human being is supposed to fit into this uh, into this distinction of two forms of, uh, of order or two notions of individuality is not, um, not really clear from Plato's uh, writings and Simon Don suggests that maybe this is something that was discussed in the esoteric teaching. Um, but um, he, he also talks about how we find uh, an account of human individuality in relation to the, uh, uh, the uh, ideal city in the Republic. And uh, this is what we saw earlier how the individual is incorporated into, um, into the order of the city. And so here the, the notion of divine providence uh, comes in again, where the individual is supposed to be born uh, in the position in which they uh, belong in the city. Uh, so they are born as, um, uh, as guardians or as warriors or as... Uh, artisans or whichever um, fits according to uh, their their nature. Uh, and then he, he brings up this notion of the great year, which we saw already with Heraclitus. Um, and this is the idea of uh, this sort of cosmic cycle of the elements where um, each of the elements turns into the other uh, and they all sort of rotate around in this vast cosmic cycle. Uh, and uh, eventually you have sort of a return of, of the same so that um, uh, after a, a certain number of whatever thousands of years, the whole cycle re restarts and the same, uh, the same events happen again. And so this, uh, this notion of the great year is a way of um, introducing order into, uh, into um, or sort of, sort of to reconcile the order according to simultaneity and the order according to succession. So there's a, a sort of a structure to succession. It's not just um, things happening sort of at random. Uh, everything happens according to this order that is defined by the uh, cycle of the elements and the great year. And likewise, in the city, so Plato talks about how uh, there's a sort of cyclical nature of the city uh, where um, despotism uh, uh, succeeds from democracy um, and uh, um, there's a sort of constant cycling between the different orders, the different structures of government in a city, uh, and um, each one leads into the other's uh, and so there's a, a, a sort of order, even what seems like chaotic um, transitions from one 
political system to another are actually ordered in accordance with this uh, cycle of uh, political systems. Okay, let's go on to the next bit. Uh, we lost uh, someone, um, but uh, Leith Mason, if you want to go on. Uh, this conception is therefore equivalent to privileging order, measure. Art is anterior to nature in the order of the world as well as in the individual, of which it is the foundation of virtue, and in the city, the stability of which it guarantees. Nevertheless, since there are two types of orders, one that leads to the formation of elementary tetrahedrons and one that organizes the cosmos, it is difficult to define the exact relation of individual reality to order. That of the elementary corpuscles is interior to the individual, but that of the cosmos is exterior and superior to it. Whence results an ambivalence of the individual that is both the source of every legitimate reform, philosophers would need to be kings or philosopher kings, yet precisely establishes a reform in which it disappears as individual, since the city is that in which individuals are nothing but citizens. It is at the level of the city that the order of causality and finality reinforce one another and coincide. The city is the veritable individual, carefully placed far enough away from the sea so as not to be involved in multiple expeditions, situated in a region with a suitable climate, benefiting from exceptional independence. The human individual is incomplete by himself, whether he have power or whether he be in a precarious situation. The tyrant is precisely the completely isolated individual who breaks every bond with society, exiling the good people whom he fears, living under the protection of his bodyguards whom he has acquired by freeing the slaves. The dissociation of the city reaches its terminus here. The tyrannical man is the individual who takes himself as an absolute, without friends, always despot or slave, but ignoring true freedom and true friendship. In opposition to this individual who takes himself as an absolute, there is the individual who accomplishes the technical work, particularly the political technician, the veritable absolute living and sovereign law of the city, like the shepherd with his flock. More generally, the human arts were bestowed by the gods upon man, who was always confronting great difficulties. All kinds of techniques are necessary when beings manage to arrive with great difficulty through all kinds of obstacles to their achievement. Only the individual being can exert techniques, even if they require assembly, for techniques is what, applied, for techniques is, what is applied to changing various things. When it comes to political art as well as the other arts, the, similarity, the dissimilarities between human beings and their actions and the fact that practically nothing in human affairs ever remains stable prevent any sort of expertise whatsoever from making any simple decision in any sphere that covers all cases and will last for all time. The technician is the individual who knows how to apply himself to becoming. However, judging according to the effective results of Plato's teaching, it can be seen that a very large number of students of the academy, academy were legislators, and that the academy was the greatest school of political techniques the world has ever known. It is quite probable that Plato's oral teachings sought this possession of political techniques. If we join this fact with another, i.e. the information according to which the doctrine of number ideas were part of the esoteric, this esoteric teaching given to the students but not published in the dialogues, then we may think that the number ideas are precisely the notion of the realities upon which a technics, political technics in particular, can be founded. Right, so here we're going back to um, the Republic again uh, and talking about the, the city uh, as the true individual. So 
um, the city, uh, as Plato sets it out in, in the Republic, uh, has to be uh, one that is not too close to the sea because then it is going to be involved in um, uh, maritime expeditions and uh, the potential for invasion from, from outside and so on. Uh, it has to be in a sort of isolated position so that it can be truly independent. Uh, and, and so this independence of the city is what um, uh, sort of constitutes it as an individual. Um, and uh, here at the level of the city, um, the, the two orders uh, of, of uh, the order of causality uh, from the bottom up and then the order of finality from the top down are supposed to coincide uh, or to, um, to sort of join together. Um, and so the composition of the city is such that it, uh, it will remain structured in the appropriate way um, to, to persist. Uh, and so a human being, uh, a human individual is, is not a complete individual because uh, the human being requires, um, requires social interaction with others. Uh, and so the tyrant is the, the sort of uh, example of how the attempts to have uh, this sort of absolute individuality at the level of the, of the human individual uh, ultimately fails because the tyrant uh, has to um, surround himself by bodyguards and he can never trust anyone uh, and he uh, can never have true friendship. Uh, and so he, he ends up being the most isolated person in the city, uh, no matter how, how much um, power and wealth and so on he might enjoy. He, he can never um, have true friendship with anyone else. And so he, he remains isolated. Um, and so it's only at, only at the level of the city that we have a, a true individual that can be sort of self-subsistent and doesn't require um, interaction or um, collaboration or anything with, with anything outside of itself. And, and so Simondo argues here that um, because we know from historical record that um, that many of Plato's students went on to become uh, uh, famous politicians or successful politicians, uh, he argues that uh, there must have been uh, in the teaching of the school, there must have been something that prepared the students for this political career, uh, even though we, we find um, in the dialogues that we have, there's a, a certain skepticism about Athenian democracy and uh, political life in in such a, a context. Um, there's uh, at the same time something about the the teaching in the academy that seems to have prepared students to succeed in this context. Uh, and then he he makes a sort of speculative suggestion that the the doctrine of number ideas that uh, we saw a little bit earlier, uh, uh, a sort of a sketch of this doctrine, um, which we know uh, from Aristotle was part of the esoteric teaching uh, uh, in, the, in the academy, um, that this doctrine of the number ideas may have been sort of the uh, uh, principle on which the political education was, was founded. Um, so what exactly that means is not entirely clear, uh, 
but there's some sort of um, there must be some sort of way in which this doctrine of the number ideas allows for uh, the people who who learn it, these students, to uh, intervene in political life uh, in in this uh, in the way that they they did, as we know from the historical record. Okay, so I'll read the next bit. I think that will take us to the yeah, that should take us to the end of the Plato section. The knowledge of the number ideas gives an activity to the individual that forces him to not take himself as an absolute and to insert himself in becoming by immortalizing himself in the sensible. The individual avoids the degradation of the forms and stabilizes becoming by organizing it. Despite the conjectural aspect of this reconstitution of Plato's esoteric thought, it definitely seems that there was in this relation of the individual being to becoming an extremely profound view albeit one that could not be immediately fruitful in the society within which Plato lived, since it was so difficult to comprehend. The tyrant is an individual, but the philosopher is also an individual. It is a question of passing from the individuality of the tyrant to that of the philosopher. It would therefore not be entirely correct to view Plato's last effort to think individuality as an effort to incorporate it statically into the city. But it is true that what was retained from Platonism is indeed the static representation of individuality according to the order of the simultaneous. Plato's doctrine deserves to be renovated and continued today by means of information theory. In a certain sense, the individual is a puppet. Each of us living beings is a puppet of the gods. Whether we have been constructed to serve as their plaything or for some serious reason is beyond our ken. But in another sense, he is the one who, by learning philosophical metrics, becomes, thanks to the number ideas, one who knows this puppet and who stabilizes its becoming through the discovery in each circumstance of this justness, the Platonic justice is. This technician of pure technics that the philosopher is operates on becoming. It is in the knowledge of becoming that he discovers the model of his action. The philosopher has become his own daimon unto himself. Uh, so here he's continuing with this suggestion that the number ideas were the, the foundation for this techniques of uh, political action. And he suggests that this um, had to do with the way that um, the the number ideas give a, a, a sense of the limits of things um, that they um, and they allow for the the individual to um, uh, immortalize themselves in becoming. So there's a, a, a relationship between uh, becoming and eternal being. Um, where eternal being is realized through becoming uh, rather than being opposed to it. Uh, and, and so this conception of immortalizing oneself through becoming uh, is sort of how, how this doctrine uh, plays the role of making possible the political careers of the students of the academy. Um, and then, uh, there's this, again, sort of a speculative suggestion that we can sort of um, re, uh, reinvent this platonic doctrine through information theory uh, in, in contemporary society. Uh, and this is sort of what Simon Don is setting out to do in, uh, in the book Individuation. Um, he, he wants to have an account of the... Uh, the relationship between being and becoming that is uh, in some sense informed by information theory in the same way that um, 
Plato's doctrine was um, informed by the geometry of his time. And, uh, and so this is how we can sort of re reinvent Plato's doctrine for today. Um, I know it's early, but I'm going to suggest that we stop here for today just because we have uh, a small group and we're, um, we're at a, a natural stopping point. So rather than starting uh, on Aristotle, we can stop here and then pick up on the Aristotle section next time, if that's okay. Yeah, that works fine for yeah. me. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, it's fine with me too. Sorry for not talking. Oh, yeah, that's, that's fine. No worries. Okay, so... Um, We'll pick up from page 464 next time, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about Aristotle. Okay, sure. thanks, man. Right. Thank you for coming out. And um, yeah, so next week we'll, we'll meet at a different time. Uh, I'll put that in the, in the chat um, right now. Uh, but yeah, it'll be earlier in the day. No conflicts with recordings or anything, like with other groups? Uh, oh, that's a good point. I didn't check that. Let me check on that first before we decide on that. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll check on that, and then I'll, I'll let you, I'll let everyone know in the next uh, day or so. Okay, sounds good. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you.